This morning, if you um, want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 17. If you're going to use the Pew Bible like I am, it's page uh, 160. I abandoned my clicker all by itself. I know, right? Poor guy. We've been talking about how God in Deuteronomy is trying to develop a people. And one of the problems that we have as we open up the Bible is, one, there's 3,000 year span between us and the Bible. And so that can kind of make, obviously, that's a different context and, and different day and age and different ways of speaking, different, different slang. I mean, everything is different, right, if you think about that. There's so much that separates us. But also, these things so frequently seem completely inapplicable to our lives, how do, I, how do I connect with this in any way because I don't, I don't have anything that's, or seemingly anything that's similar to this. And I've been encouraging us to see that within the text of Scripture, there is a lot more going on than, than might lay at the surface. So you might read a law in Deuteronomy and say, well, that, that's not something, I'm, I, that doesn't seem to apply to me. That deals with the practices But what I want us to begin to see is that these practices all flow from what God is trying to build us into. God is trying to build a people in ancient Israel, and he's still trying to build a people, only now we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's trying to build a people who can understand the world the way he understands the world, and who can understand themselves and how they fit into that world. And then from that flows how we ought to live our lives. And I'm encouraging us as we read Deuteronomy to understand that while it might seem that there is a great deal of distance between you and this text, there are, there is not as much distance as we think there is. Okay? Not as much distance as we think there is. So let's look in our scriptures. If you're looking at Deuteronomy, you have to kind of back up a little bit to verse, or to chapter 16, verse 21, so that's the bottom of your your page, and that runs an entire section from there, twenty-one, all the way through seventeen, seven, and this is a a chunk that is describing what people are not to do in terms of their worship. They're not supposed to. In verse twenty-one, you might see it there. Don't plant any tree as an Asherah. That's a that's a goddess in the ancient world, Asherah, and make an altar beside it um, of the Lord your God that you shall make. Right, so so you're not to you're not to syncretize the worship of the ancient people with your worship here today, and you say, "What?" <laughs> right? I mean, there's already we're sort of we're sort of wrestling with what what do I do with this text? Because again, we're gonna we're hanging out here at the practice. This text then runs through talking about what happens. If we catch somebody doing this thing here, what are we to do about it? And so this gets into the judicial system of ancient Israel. Listen, how many of you guys like law and order? Put your hands down. You should be ashamed of yourselves. So legal stuff couldn't be more boring unless you said it 3,000 years in the past. And then it feels even more boring than that. You don't even get a good dun-dun-dun. But there is something in this text that the New Testament echoes constantly. In fact, it it, it transforms. What I want us to see today is that while it might seem that these things are unrelated to you, maybe maybe they're not not applicable to you, this lays the groundwork for everything you believe as a Christian. Not one word of Scripture 
is useless. Not one word of scripture is useless. Every single word has a time and a place and has application in those different ways. And what I want us to see is how the New Testament utilizes the Old Testament text here. So I want you to look specifically at verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to show how the New Testament uses these, how, how Jesus uses this, how Paul uses this, how we might use this. On the evidence of two or three, two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. That is the person who does the, the Asherah stuff that we talked about earlier. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now you might have a lot of questions around this text. Um, I'm not going to address all of those questions. I want to look very narrowly at this idea of the two and the three witnesses. We see this go on throughout the text. In fact, it happens in Jesus' own story. If you remember, Mark tells a story about Jesus going on trial. And that the issue that the Sanhedrin, the, the judicial system, if you will, of the ancient people, of, the, of, of that day, was, was trying to put Jesus on trial. But the problem was their witnesses were not agreeing. They did not have two or three witnesses that agreed. And so Jesus could not technically be put together. This was an issue that we see happening in Jesus's own story. So we see that kind of echo through the stories of it, but Jesus utilizes this text and Paul utilizes this text and I want to show that because I think that has a lot to say to us today. So, Matthew, we kind of got a little a lot. But Matthew 18, if you've grown up in church, especially in our churches, this is a big deal to us. We've talked about this text many times. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about the issue of forgiveness. How often do I forgive a brother? He's talking about conflict. What do I do when the conflict arises? And you notice here, the beginning of the text says this, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and you alone. And if he listens to you, then everything's forgiven and and, and everything's fine and you move on. If he doesn't listen to you, what do you do? Take two, not a posse. That is an incorrect answer. <laughs> Ding, thank you for playing. Take two, right? Right? Again, you see that? You take another witness with you because you might be wrong. Ever consider that? Right? You might have a conflict with somebody and it might actually be you, your heart that's wrong or, or you didn't understand or you misheard. How many of you ever talked past somebody and as, as you leave that conversation, you hate that person's guts? Right? I mean, we do this, and, and it's because I see this happen all the time. You, we're sitting at a table, and you listen to two people talking. I like, I hear both of your points. Why can't you hear each other's points? And so, what does Jesus do? He utilizes the principle we see here in Deuteronomy. He says, Take another person with you so that two people can hear the issue. Is there really sin going on here? Because, on the basis of two witnesses, yourself and the other person, You're able then to take it before the whole body and make a public accusation. Do you see how Jesus is utilizing this? Now the priority here is so important. The priority in Deuteronomy is the innocence and justice of the individual. 
One person cannot stand up and accuse another, and the body of people take that one person's word for it. Right? That cannot happen. We must preserve justice and innocence. We must preserve the dignity of the individual. And that's what this is. You'll notice, if you, have, if you feel like I've offended you or you feel like Dan's offended you because he goes around offending people all the time, Dan... I just broke my own rule, but pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. If you feel like that has happened, who are you supposed to go to? Dan. And that protects who? Dan. It protects his dignity. Because we make mistakes. Can I get a witness? We mess things up. We put our, anybody ever put their foot in their mouth? And how would you like it if everybody, if, if you put your foot in your mouth and somebody goes around, did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? Man, maybe I said something wrong and I'm, I'm ready to apologize for it. I do a lot of apologizing. <laughs> we all do and we ought to. This protects that dignity. And so we see then the principle, there's a correlation between our situation that you run into anytime you have a conflict and the principle that we see in Deuteronomy that is the dignity and justice of the person who has made a mistake or possibly made a mistake. This is important because it puts others first, doesn't it? It seems to be very Jesus-y. <laughs> puts others first. So there's a correlation already. Jesus sees, he's, 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 been, he's been soaked in the word of God. He's been soaked in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Genesis and Numbers and all these books that we sort of avoid. But because he has been soaked in them, he's able to pull out and to describe, hey, this has applicable action to your marriage, your kids, your church, your workplace. There's a correlation of priorities there. And we begin by saying, I value that person. They are not my enemy. They are somebody who I need to understand and love and show mercy to and grace to and introduce Jesus to and all those other wonderful things that we value. All right, that's Jesus using this text. I want to move on to Paul using this text. Paul does the same thing. He does it here in 2 Corinthians. Now, there are two letters. If you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, it's all right. If you kind of fast forward all the way from the end of your, um, they probably don't call it fast forward anymore, do they? That's VHS and I'm dating myself. Whatever it is, skipping chapters, I don't know. Anyway, if you move forward into your Bible, you have letters that are written many, many, many years later. And one of the letters is 2 Corinthians. There's 1 Corinthians as well. There's two of them. And if you've ever read those, you might know that that church is messed up. Churches can get like that sometimes. Things get messed up. They're living in a culture and they're, they're assuming certain things about the, they, they've lived their lives as a Greek or a Roman or whatever for, for 30 years and here they become a Christian and now Paul is sort of saying, that, I know you've lived that way for a long time. I know that everybody around you thinks that's right and that's fine, but we're declaring to you the word of God and God thinks differently about this. And here... Paul is speaking about the issue of sin within the church. Now, we, um, we wrestle with this as well, I think, because we live in an age where it's very difficult to, to call people um, sinful. It's very difficult for us to call just something wrong. So we, we, we're wrestling with sort of similar things that the Corinthian church is wrestling with. 
Paul says this. He says, this is the third time he's writing the letter. This letter is being delivered to them. This is the third time that I am coming to you. And so he, he envisions he's got somebody that, in the ancient world, you didn't like mail a letter. They didn't have email or, or postage. If I wanted a letter delivered to Central or Comstock or something like that, I would give, not Dan, I would give, can't trust Dan. What a good guy. Dan is a good guy. I'm totally joking with you. But I'm going to pick on you all day because I started. So I'm going to give Mitch my letter. And Mitch is going to take that letter and he's going to deliver it. And he's a stand-in for me. By deliver it, he's not going to hand out photocopies for everyone. He's going to stand up and he's going to read the letter. He would read 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. He would deliver it. So he is standing in for Paul. So when Paul says, I came, I'm coming to you a third time, Paul's not there, but his messenger is. And the messenger speaks on his behalf. I'm coming to you a third time. My messenger, he's in your midst. Maybe more than one. Probably wasn't just one individual. It was probably a small group. But anyway. Every charge must be established on the evidence of two or three. I seem to have heard that before somewhere, right? That Paul is rooting, I'm about to talk about something, and he's rooting everything he's doing in what? Deuteronomy. He's looking back, and he's saying, how has God spoken in the past and guided his people, and how does that then, how does that then allow me to make sense of today? Now, there's not, this is not a one-to-one correspond, you know, there, this is not a one-to-one correspondence. This is, this is a bit different situation. In Deuteronomy, we're talking about, like, judicial law issues. We're talking about law and order stuff. Paul is talking about the life of the church. You'll notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say pick up rocks and bash someone over the head with them. There are things he's leaving behind in light of Jesus, but there are things that he's carrying forward as well, it is this, two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all others, and I warned them while now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I came again, I would not spare them. Now that doesn't mean Paul's going to start um, stabbing people. What that means is that Paul has taken sin so seriously, and he's taking it seriously because Deuteronomy took it seriously, and it said, you must remove the evil within your midst. And if there is sin in the church, Paul says, listen, we cannot have someone standing up who is saying, I'm a part of the church, I'm right with God, I'm right with all these other Christians, I'm a Christian too who's running around doing things that they are commanded by God not to do, that cannot stand. And so the correction must be removal of that person if it continues. Again, you see, Paul's like, I've, I've, I've said this, and I've said this, and I've said this, and I keep warning you and calling you out. You need to give this up. So this isn't a harsh word. It is, however, a very sober and serious word because the Bible takes sin more seriously than we do. Than we do. So there is here a correlation of principle or principles Here Paul takes not only the two or three witnesses, there's many people who have seen the sin that's at work inside the midst of the people, but he's also taking the seriousness of sin itself. And he's saying we can't allow just everyone to say I'm right with God when you are manifestly not right with God. That doesn't love anybody. It it lies to them. It allows them to think that they're fine with God and everything is going to be fine when everything is not fine. Everything is not fine. And if everything is not fine and you lie to someone and tell them it's fine, 
right? You, you with me? Doctor lies to you about what you've got and you die for it. Like that's, that, we, we understand this everywhere else in life. The banker says you've got lots of money in the bank, go ahead and buy that boat, and you've got nothing bad. Every other part of life, it's fine. It's some, somehow we think our moral lives, the things that we do, that doesn't apply. Paul says no. God laid it down a long, long time ago in Deuteronomy that no, there is a way to live and there is a way not to live. And if you want to say I'm right with God and I'm right with God's people, then you have to live a particular way. You have to live a particular way. So there's a correlation, back to Jesus, of prioritizing the dignity of the individual, of the person who does something wrong. Beginning there to fix things. And then we see a correlation here of the principles, the principle of the danger of sin, the principle, again, of more than one person who witnesses the sin. Now let's move on to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 uh, and 20. A similar situation. This is actually probably much more close to the situation do not admit a charge against an elder. If you're, if you're new here, elder is a, is a term not just of an old person. Notice I said not just, Scott. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pay for that later. Elder is, a, is sort of a, it's a, it's a real position within the church of the word-soaked person who's able to deliver the word of God into situations. The person who is walking with God and is able to then teach and describe to us, hey man, this is, this is how we go, this is how we don't go. This is what we do, this is what we don't do, that kind of thing. So you are not to admit a charge or an accusation, put it that way, against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now of course this exists because Timothy, who is Paul's protege, is working and living in a church and clearly there must have been a situation where somebody stood up and accused an elder. This is happening. No one else stood next to him. It was just this one person, man or woman, whatever, accuses this, this elder of something, and there's no one else around, no one standing with them. And so Paul says, what do I, Timothy may have written a letter, maybe he even asked Paul the question, what do I do in this situation? Paul says, you go to Deuteronomy. This might be the weirdest thing you hear all week, but if you have a problem, maybe you ought to go to Deuteronomy <laughs> and see what God has said. To others in the past, it might shed a whole lot of light on what God is saying to you as he speaks through his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. So here, Paul even goes further, and again, this kind of connects a little bit to the first Corinthians bit. As for those who persist, those who are consistent and in their sin, rebuke them in the presence of everybody. Boy, that makes my palms sweat. And that would be uncomfortable. And yet we see this at work. So that the rest may stand in fear. Because I know, I know this is the second weirdest thing you're going to hear this week. Sin is to be feared. It's to be feared. Because it is the wedge between you and God. It is the wedge between you and others. It is the thing that sends people to hell. And it is the thing that we should be so afraid of. That at the end of the letter of Jude. Jude says, listen... Be careful about clothing that touches a person who is sinful. And Paul's not, or Jude's not saying, hey, don't have anything to do with anybody who you think is sinful. He's just saying, you need to have a healthy respect that sin can lead you from God. And if it leads you from God, that puts you in a dangerous situation of eternal 
weight and consequence. Again, the Old Testament takes this seriously. God takes this seriously. The New Testament takes this seriously. Jesus takes it seriously. Paul takes it seriously. Jude takes it seriously. Why don't we? We ought to. We ought to take it seriously. Paul's drawing on the rich wisdom of the word of God from 2,000 years to him, you know, or 1,000 years to him. He's drawing on, he's pulling it forward. He says, this still speaks. This still speaks to us today. So we see in this instance a correlation of situation. A correlation of situation. It is, again, maybe judicial in both senses. You have this ancient accusation that somebody did something wrong. You have this modern, to Paul, accusation of somebody who did something wrong. And Paul says, in a situation where somebody accuses somebody else publicly of doing wrong, there needs to be two or three people. You need to listen to two or three people, not just one person. So... I have two goals then. The first is then the continuous goal throughout the series, and that is to convince you that you ought to be reading Deuteronomy. That it's an awesome book full of wisdom and richness, and if you listen closely, you can hear the breath of God blowing across millennia, speaking to you today. But I also want to convince you that that reading of the Old Testament text is so important because it has something to say to us today. And I want to admit as well that if this week, let's say Tuesday morning, Dan decides to finally get right with the Lord, (laughs) and he decides to read Deuteronomy, and let's say he reads Deuteronomy 17, and he says, well, that was lovely, I now feel right with the Lord, but I have nothing for today. Like, it didn't say anything to his situation. In fact, the rest of Deuteronomy, I really actually wanted to, you all want to hang around for another half an hour so I can take the rest of the, I'm just kidding, I won't do that to you. I really wanted to talk about this next, because Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 through 20 have been on my heart for about six months, and I've been just in love with this text. Any, but that's another subject. But let's say, let's say he doesn't get anything out of it. Did he waste his time? We have all these marathon runners out there today running their marathon. Some of them, their first marathon. I think, it is it Carl that's running his first marathon? Carl's running his first marathon. Kudos to him. And I'm pretty sure that this is not the first 24 miles that Carl's run. Right? Any of you ever run before? You've never run before? It's the worst thing in the world. It's a horrible, horrible thing. The only time I want to run is if I'm being chased by somebody. And in that situation, I don't want to run then either, right? This is why they have earbuds, because they need to listen to something to, to distract their brain from how horrible the experience of running is. And yet there is a moment, if you talk to Paul, he talks about this, and he, he says it's true, I'm, I'm believing him. There's other people, there's two or three witnesses. So it's, it's, there's this moment when you cross those finish lines where you've like, I have, I've accomplished something. There's this rush. There's this accomplishment. So you did all of that work for that one moment, right? You with me? Does that, does that seem clear? Like we, most of life is that. Most of your life is preparing you for the one moment that God wants to use you. 
That one moment has been preparation. You've been preparing and growing in God so the fruit of the Spirit are beginning to live and grow out of your life. You've been reading the Scriptures so that you're able and able in that situation to finally pull Deuteronomy 17 out of your pocket and say, oh, I have a word of God for this moment right here and right now. And if you ever never did the work back then of reading Deuteronomy 17, it's not in your pocket. You can't pull it out, and you're on your own. Which doesn't mean you're going to fall on your face, but I'd sure rather have God in my corner. It's like fractions, math, right? Thank you. I'm terrible at math. And I kept thinking, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'll never use it. This is why God invented calculators. Why, what's math for? And now I find my daughter saying the same thing that I thought when, her, it's, you know, when I was her age and I have to defend math. Congratulations, universe. I don't know. And I say to her, listen, honey, I know it's dumb and I know you hate it and I know it's boring But I've looked stupid in front of too many people when holding a ruler because I can't do fractions. And they're saying, take a quarter of this and a quarter of that and a fifth of this. And I don't know what to do with it. So don't look dumb like your dad and learn your fractions. (laughs) You put in the hard work way back there so that the moment when you need to be active and you need to have the word and you need to be useful, God can use you. And I know on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning or in the evening when you pull out your Bibles or you finally get a moment of quiet and you're like, I would rather watch Netflix than pray. I know and I'm encouraging you to resist that temptation because God wants to use you, but he can only use the prepared soldier. He can only use the prepared athlete. He can only use the prepared Christian. And preparation isn't always fun. I think it's always fun because Deuteronomy is awesome. And and so, but if you find yourself reading Deuteronomy and saying, I don't know that this matters, it matters. Put your trust in God. So let's pull all these three things together here. There are correlations. So when you're reading Deuteronomy and you're saying, well, what do I do with this? Because again, we get isolated with the practice. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Don't get stuck just in the practice, but I want you to think about how this shapes our identity and how this shapes our worldview, how this shapes, about, how this shapes how we think about the world and who we are in the world. And here are three ways that you can begin to, to kind of utilize that text and pull it forward to today. Is there a priority that you see within the text? Is there, who is highlighted? Who's the hero of that text? Who is being protected in that text? And And who might you need to protect? How might you need to pull that priority forward? The second issue is a principle. Is there a kind of a founding principle in that text? For instance, the danger of sin. We talked about that for a while. Whatever it is, is there the the protection of the individual's dignity? Trying to make peace. You know, all of these different things. What's the priority or priorities within that text? And can that come forward? Do you share the priorities of God in that text? The third there is the situation. Is there a correlation of situation? Is there something similar that's happening to you that happened to somebody else? And is that person a good example or a bad example? I've heard people use David maybe too many times because David was messed up. Elijah was messed up. Abraham was messed up. Our guys, our heroes of our faith, are human. The Bible is full of bad examples and it's full of good examples. And be careful, right? Be careful which one you use. Use the bad examples exactly to say, well, I, I ought not do that, right? So utilize those, those together. 
So if we think about this text of this standing, uh, this, this, these two witnesses, what does this protect us from? This protects us from, from the hunger that we have to believe the worst about other people. That's the root of gossip, isn't it? How many of y'all love a juicy bit of gossip? You're all liars. I love it. I love it. Somebody says to me, hey, did you hear about it? And I'm like, I did not. What should I have heard? Because we all, we all have it. And, and I, especially, I especially love this. I love it when somebody has a juicy bit of gossip about someone I don't like. Right? Because you're like, oh, yeah. Yes, I knew they were dirt bags. I knew it. And you got like this confirmation. And you're like, oh, yeah. Except for, it's probably not true. Or it's probably half true. And the bias that we have is that we want to confirm what we like, not necessarily what is true. And I've seen this tear people apart. Churches apart. Our church is always on the precipice. All it takes is one person to say one thing and it sort of goes through the pews. And by the time it gets down here to Dan, <laughs> he didn't start it, notice. He didn't start it. He just spread it. <laughs> by the time it gets down there, it's so messed up, it's probably not even remotely true, but we all believe some little bit of it because we all love, we all, let's be honest with each other, right? I mean, this is all the same thing. And yet, what can I say about the church today? What do we need to do? We need to go back to Deuteronomy. We need to utilize how Jesus applied that. He said that Deuteronomy protected an individual's integrity and dignity. It didn't begin to say and spread it around. But instead, waited to hear other people stand up and say, yeah, that's true. This person did something legitimately wrong. And if we did that, man, our churches would be a whole lot more peaceful. Our lives would be more peaceful. If you learn to think better of people, your life will be more peaceful. We give our peace away too easy, guys. We give it away so that we can feel better about ourselves, but the trade-off isn't worth it. The peace of knowing others, loving others, and knowing that you're walking with God is so much better than any bit of gossip that you might have. And we need to cultivate that. To be confessional with you, I really wrestle with that. I have many opinions, and I would like to share all of them with you. Whether you like it or not. Anybody else? Like, I, I mean, we, we, I, I have, I, and, so, and so if I see something or I hear something, man, I'm, I'm ready to pick up stones and start throwing. We are ready to fight at the drop of the hat. And my, my thing for you today, hearing Deuteronomy speak, I'm like, man, I need to start waiting to hear a couple of people say, yeah, there's a legitimate wrong here. And anything else that I hear to tune it out and to not pass it along, no matter how juicy or tempting it might be. Because I think at the end of the day, I want peace. I want peace. I don't want my mind to be full of dark thoughts about anybody. I don't want my heart to be full of bitterness and anger. I don't want to hold on to old things that somebody said out of the side of their mouth and to think that they did it wrong. I don't want to think those things. I want peace. Do you want peace? If you want peace, it can begin right here with this very simple text. Be ready for every good work. 
Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward only the people you like. That was my own translation. But isn't that true? Like, this is an easy text. I mean, you could slap this on a bumper sticker, put on one of those, like, motivational posts, and everybody's like, amen, until your enemy walks into the office, and you're like, I hate that guy. Or somebody says, did you hear about so-and-so? And you're like, yes, tell me more. Like, this is hard when it's someone we don't like. But this is pretty clear toward all people. Because I think the thing that marked Jesus is that he spoke the truth. When there was sin, there was sin. And he called it out because he cared about the eternal destiny of every single person he ran into. But when it was garbage, it was garbage. And he showed love even to those people. As Scott shared in that beautiful communion meditation, he showed love and forgiveness while they nailed him to the cross. And you know what he said to you? If you would be my disciples, you must take up that cross follow me so my ask of you for this week two things Tuesday morning pull out Deuteronomy and read it it has so much richness and depth it can save your soul and the second thing is this don't give your peace away cheaply let this be your motto this week to avoid quarreling to speak evil of no one, to be gentle and courteous to all people. And in this way, prove you are the followers of Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing in worship to our God and Savior.